Welcome to the RHP Market Talk podcast, episode number 21, brought to you by Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management, located along the beautiful Gulf Coast of Houston, Texas, serving families across the country. I'm Natalie Pika, founding partner. And I'm Glenn Royal, founding partner. I'm Jason Strzeski, investment analyst. So welcome, everybody. Glad to have you here today. Thank you to our listeners. Um, don't want to say this is just a repeat of our last discussion, but I think it's just a continuation and probably going to build that out a little bit. Inflation print, might as well just start there. That's what everybody's talking about today. Yeah, it came in a little hot. A little hot. Yeah, a little uh, hot. 9.1 versus expectations of 8.8. Yep. Uh, what do you think about that, Jason? You've seen a lot of inflation since you've been here in this short time. Yeah, I think more than any anyone would like at this point. You know, we, we wanted to call a peak inflation. We've wanted to see that for quite some time. And it was under the thought that once a lot of these supply chain issues started to clear up, we would see some relief. But no one could have anticipated all of the geopolitical issues that have arisen this right. year. So that also playing into the fact where you have energy getting choked out from half the world, we're going to be stuck with this for quite some time. And additionally, you know, you have other pockets of the market going into energy. Uh, you know, you're looking to increase a build out for infrastructure for these plants and these produ- production facilities where they're several years behind and they need to build bigger exponentially so to meet these new demands. You know, you've got LNG plants that need to they're used to importing, and now all of a sudden 80% is exporting to Europe. So to build that out and to facilitate it, that's going to increase the cost of those materials to uh, get that done. And you've got housing. That's a whole other story as well. I mean, what do you think about that, Glenn? We're seeing the pockets. Obviously, housing, shelter costs are sticky. They're going to stay in the numbers for a while that will keep inflation prints higher as mm-hmm. a result of that. But we just saw the second half of June was energy prices coming down, mainly because people are, are expecting a recession. And so that's pulling down the commodities that had such a strong bid earlier this year. It, it hasn't changed the structural dynamics of the demand for energy, exactly. the underinvestment that's in that space, all that. We can make a bull case for energy as it ties back to inflation you're starting to see pressure on energy that should start to make, you know, here's that word again, but are we peaking in inflation in here? And there's arguments that can be made that possibly we are. Right. Um, expectations are for it to trend down, you know, three and a half, four percent next year. Still stay elevated mm-hmm. uh, compared to the history. It's going to be hard for the Fed to drive it back down to two percent without maybe a continuation of raising rates at another time. But mm-hmm. the biggest thing about the inflation that I'm I would like people to focus on is that it's normally, you know, you're either driven by supplier demand uh, cycles, shortage of supplies that we've all dealt with with logistics, uh, our excess demand after all the money in everybody's pocket. There's a, that has an impact on inflation, but the bigger impact is the psychology surrounding inflation. So we talked a bit about this number just now, higher, lower, all that. What really matters to me going forward is are we going to bake into the cake our thinking like we had in the 70s that if I don't buy that product today, it's going to go up in price on me next week, so I better go get it today. Yeah. So that starts to bake that inflation 
longer in the story. We're not seeing that. Right now, I still see people balking. Energy prices is a good example. You start getting that demand destruction when they got too high on gasoline prices. So we're still at that point. We haven't tipped over to that psychological risk of higher inflation, but it's something that's on the table today that we're curious about. So let's just talk about a little bit about the difference between CPI and core inflation numbers and where those came in. Because core came in at 5.92 versus the CPI at 9.1. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the difference between energy and food, right? So it's food and energy are very volatile components right. of CPI. So the Fed likes to strip those two out, and we focus on the core rate. Both of these, whether the regular top rate or the core rate, rents are very, very high components of that, north of 30%. That's where we're still seeing the inflationary pressures in housing prices and uh, rent equivalents. That's going to keep this inflation story probably stickier than, than we would like. If I didn't have that, used car prices are rolling over. We expect to see semiconductor chips finally meeting up with auto production, mm-hmm. uh, and you're starting to see that log jam. I think you guys just got your pickup truck right. after waiting we for We finally got a truck yeah. after 14 months. Of waiting for a semiconductor <laughs> chip, right? Right. So the logistics are catching up. Actually, Goldman Sachs had a, on a 1 to 10 scale of 10 being logistics are, are a problem for the economy, one no problem at all, that's come back down to five. So we're seeing a lot of improvement in the logistic issues around the country. That should bode well for inflation. But again, I'm switching at this point away from supply-demand concerns to psychological expectations of inflation. And so I saw an article out, um, I think I shared it with you and Jason, where the bond investors are showing signs that they expect the inflation to cool. That's what the bond market yeah. is saying. Yeah, I, uh, one of the measures so, that we look at is you know, future expectations of inflation. And uh, one of those measures, the Fed's five years forward. If, if I take myself five years in the future right. and then had to guess what inflation is going to be five years from that point in the future, if I go back to late last fall into spring, inflation expectations were getting two and three quarters, kind of long-running expectations. Since this concern about the recession, all that started to come, it's now dropped that down to 1.97. So anything that we're seeing on long-term expectations shows that the Fed's going to succeed in getting inflation under control out in the next few years. And we're, we're seeing that in the data. You know, it's, you know, energy prices aren't going to keep going. Used car prices aren't going to keep going up forever, right? And so you're starting to see those things roll. Well, and when you say that it, it's not just what the Fed is doing, it's not the Fed's action as much as also the supply chains picking up, demand destruction happening. There's some, I think everybody needs to remember that it's not single. There's not one single element that's in this current situation. Mm-hmm. What's under the Fed's control? Exactly. Exactly. The important thing to remember, too, the Fed's tools are blunt. And Fed Chair Jerome Powell, we're we're seeing that he came out, he's stating that they are committed to addressing inflation and getting it under control. Now, the concern is, you know, we went from not going and doing enough to all of a sudden a day later doing too much too quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So talking about that psyche in the market, and those concerns, things are moving so quickly, we can see probabilities based on uh, Fed funds futures on what the market is actually pricing in, probabilities of what the next meeting, what hikes will occur July in the next 27th. meeting. Exactly, July 27th, what comes out. Now, yesterday, which is now July 13th, we had the Bank of Canada, they hiked a full percent. Following that news, the probabilities shot through the roof, seeing 
about 80% probability that we would also see that full percent hike. Now then, today, July 14th, you had Waller, Fed official, come out and say, more so we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, 75 basis points hike is more realistic. And this is all in a span of two days, and then the probabilities go way down to about 40% for the full point. So it's just just yeah. an example of how quickly things are moving in this market. It is. The market participants are, you know, we always try to price expectations of a Fed hike and how much it will be. And we use financial futures that Jason's is talking about uh, to find out what those are, those probabilities of hikes. What I find so fascinating is the last cycle, when we had the last CPI print, you just said the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index that came out, which was really poor. It caused the Fed to leak out through the Wall Street Journal that instead of a half a percent point hike, they were going to go to three quarters. And they did do that three quarters, surprised everybody by that extra quarter of a point hike. Now the discussions of the market is, and, and then what was, you know, you had pressure in that Fed because they were behind the curve on inflation to raise rates. And as soon as they went to three quarters, it wasn't 24 hours Ooh, later. Too much, too screaming. much. <laughs> too much. Now you're going to throw some recession. So yeah. here we are now, yeah. and now the market's wanting the Fed to go 1% full hike mm. versus the three quarters that's on the table, half a point to three quarters. Right. And here we are again. And mind you, last meeting, they said 75 basis points. Don't expect this. This is a one-time thing almost. Yeah. And now all it's of a sudden, is one the new 75? That, so. that, and that rate of change, we, we talked a little bit about that. You've seen that in these numbers. So we talk about how fast the markets move. So with the market psyche bouncing all around at one point, three quarters, half point, whatever, what you're seeing is the Fed is acting, and they're raising rates. Generally, it's a quarter of a point over right. a year Right, it's very and slow and steady. Long, yeah. long, every six weeks, year and a half. This time, we've had one and three quarters in, our, in two months. Right. About to have another three quarters to 1% hike. The steepness of that change coming off of 5,000-year record lows in interest rates. Remember, we started the year at the federal funds rate at a quarter of mm-hmm. a point. Mm-hmm. That, I think, has rolled into all the damage you've seen in these markets uh, from equities to fixing them. It's the worst market since that we go back to the 20s of a balanced portfolio because the bond market got whacked off that quarter of a point rate hike, mm-hmm. and then you know equities uh, with concerns of recession. And, right. And, and cost Gener- of generally speaking, uh, people anticipate that their bonds and their stocks are going to move in, d- in opposite directions. Historically, yeah. they have. There's right? been every reason to, to expect yep. that. Now, exactly. I, I think the main concern is a lot of top-of-mind questions. Are we in a recession? Are we going there? And I think with the Fed's action, that is getting even a little bit louder. The important thing to know, and Glenn can talk about this as well, is the damage that we've seen in both equity and bond markets this year has been substantial. When you look at it on a historical basis to other recessions, we're two-thirds or three-fourths there, depending on if you look at earnings destruction, taking uh, price-to-earnings multiple down to about 14 times. Plenty of different analysts have estimations at certain price points, but we're most of the way there on the, the activity this year. But the good news in this is, you know, this is the time to, uh, this isn't the time to be fearful and jump out. And I know all year long we've said, hold on to the roller coaster, hold on. Well, the ride is most of the way through. Who knows when that ride ends or how long it goes, but uh, 
keep hanging on, I guess. Glenn, what do you think? Man, that, that's kind of getting into a question, and I know you're getting a lot of questions, Natalie. You're center point of this firm. You're the relationship manager for a lot of clients, and they come to you. What is it that questions you're hearing from the clients? What are their concerns? Top of mind on that. Well, I mean, you know, I keep, I hate to keep beating the same drum like Jason just said of don't jump off the roller coaster in the middle of the ride. That really is the message I'm giving to clients right now. What they're asking is no one likes a bear market. So everybody's asking, well, when is this going to be over? I just want it to end. Can it please just stop? Yeah. And the truth is markets are up three out of four times and they're down one out of four times. And so my response is, you know what, opportunities are made in down markets. We never expect markets to stay high. We know that markets go low. And what you do is you act defensively when you can, where you can, and you take advantage of, of opportunities when you see that. You have to understand what you own, and that's, that's kind of how I'm explaining it to clients, is keep in mind if you own 100 shares of XYZ and it goes up today but down tomorrow, you still own 100 shares of XYZ. Let's show crypto. Wow. <laughs> well, that's a whole topic <laughs> for another Sorry. day. I was wondering if that was going to get sprinkled that's in That's another here. conversation, right? <laughs> and, then, and then clients are absolutely concerned about the inflation, right? Because it's hurting them when they go to the pump, when they go to the grocery store. But I keep reminding everyone, just like we were talking about earlier, that there's multiple things involved in this inflationary story. It's not just one thing. You can't point one finger in one place. We're coming out of a pandemic, and a lot of the numbers that we're seeing are pre-pandemic numbers. But structurally, we changed a lot of things in the last two years. We changed how we work. We changed where we go. And those structural changes aren't going away. That's productivity enhancements. Right? Absolutely. So there's a lot of things that we're still coming out of. I don't think we completely understand. I loved the numbers this last week. And Glenn, you could probably speak to this better because you've probably got the numbers right in front of you. But where we are, the U.S. deficits and the balance sheet of the U.S. government, yeah. which everyone was just really screaming about going back just two years, that's changed. Yeah. Yeah, it has improved, mainly because tax receipts are up so much with all the stimulus money that yep. went out. So you, you have seen improvement in government balance sheets. You know, I, I know how investors think. We tend to anchor our bias on the Something recent Something very past recent, recency bias, yeah. So our recent past bad event prior to pandemic is, is the great financial crisis of 2008, mm -hmm. the mortgage blow up, right? That's what I think a lot of mindset is in the market and how people are reacting, but very, very different from that period. It's not, it's not 2008 by any stretch. The banks are in much, much better financial right. condition. Governments that we just spoke about, their balance sheets are, are better as a result of all the tax receipts that come in. The consumer, now we are starting to see the consumer spend a little bit of money into deficit uh, spending a little bit. They've spent all that, that money that they got from the pandemic but they're still out there spending they're still active and, and doing what they're thing and if i look at the housing side of it uh, we've got a shortage of three million units of housing in this country the credit scores on consumers the fico scores of what we saw purchasing homes in the last four or five years are the highest on record all 
the top 760 plus scores versus what we saw in 08, which was if you had a pulse, you could fog a mirror, mm -hmm. you could get right. right? Yep. It's a whole different world mm -hmm. now. So I, I want to set that context to have everybody understand in terms of how much further does the downside go? When does inflation end? Yep. When does this bear market end? That's the question. First off, we have to look and say it's not comparable to 2008. We're not that bad a shape, which leads me to think that any recession that we do have, should it occur, uh, will be of the milder variety. Doesn't right. have to be a deep, sharp contraction. Will we see unemployment? Will we see the classic signs of the recession? Yeah, unemployment's going to go higher. You know, these things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it's not that bad. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, if I were today, I would be arguing now is the time to buy. Right. We talked about last time we talked about that we talked about that Foley's red apple cell, but the reality is we've already had a decline in line with the average bear market decline in the first six months of this year. We're there. Yep. Uh, the movement in rates, we've seen that start to stall out moving higher as people start to price in recession. Recently, added some investment grade corporate bonds that turned out to be a pretty good trade for us. Mm -hmm. So we're starting to pick up that opportunities in bonds. Right. We're starting to see high large cap technology stocks that were trading at 40 times earnings six months ago are trading at 20 times earnings. They're not the companies that they were in the dot com. These yeah. are established, tremendous revenue type companies. We feel like as sharp as that sell-off is, Ben, the recovery, and that's one of the reasons we're at a point where we've already taken the draw down. It's too late to try to move around it. So what is it that you own? Where are you positioned for the recovery? That's what's keeping me awake right now. It's no longer about downside risk. It's about how do we have these portfolios positioned for the recovery? Are we in the right spot? Because it comes so fast. Time in the market, not versus timing. Yes, right. It's a good time. To, I know you talk to clients about that. And the main reason is when this recovery comes, if I miss four of those initial days, you know, You've 10 of those it. initial days, I've missed 60% of that mm -hmm. market recovery. Right. It's as fast as it went down, it goes up. And the market is a leading economic indicator. So while we may look like we're going in a recession and things may be happening. The market's already discounted all that out. Mm -hmm. So the market leads recessions in it both ways, going in and, and coming, coming out. out. Well, and that, that's a perfect point. This isn't a 2008, but when I talk to clients about how they're feeling, because a lot of what I get is anxiety. feeling, right? It's the anxiety, it's the it feeling. Too. If we've done our planning right, if we've done the financial planning right. piece right, what we're looking for are very conservative annualized average returns. We don't look at the six months or even the 12 months. We're looking for 18, 36, five years, 10 years. You know, we're looking pretty far out. We're wanting to set your expectations based on your goals and the timing of those goals. You should have your emergency fund well-funded. When we're in these periods, we're working on their behalf to take advantage of the market. They aren't looking to pull out of the market, right? Because again, we can't call a bottom, we don't try to call a top, but we can look at the numbers and we can see the data and we can make some pretty good assumptions based on history and say, as you guys have just mentioned, we're, we're pretty much there. Valuations are Why back to that? where that now we're, now we're in that opportunity camp. Not that we haven't been, it's been an opportunity here off and on for the whole six months in different yeah. pockets of the market, which we've taken advantage of. But for clients to just feel like if your planning is done right, 
You don't need to panic. Yeah, part of that too is when we ask your time objective. The reason we're asking for your time objective, how much time do you have, is because these kind of markets happen. Right. And I do get recovery in three, five, ten years for mm -hmm. sure. So if you have an equity allocation and it was intended to be something you needed in two or three years and you're all stocks, well, maybe maybe that's too high of equity. So you should consider balancing that out. If I've got 20 years of retirement or my grandchild's retirement and a kitty 401k or whatever, I got all the time in the world to recover from these. That's why I think it's so important to work with, with you and Michelle when they're working on their financial plans to make sure their investment objectives line up with the realities of the risk of the market. Exactly. Something else I just wanted to point out that I made as we were talking about a comparison to 2008 and this not being 2008, there was a lot of work done post 2008 where bank reserves, totally different numbers now, amount of cash that had yeah. to be kept all the regulations that got put in place, Dodd-Frank, those kinds of things. I, I just feel like we need to remind people yeah. of why it is so different. This isn't your father's Oldsmobile? Is that what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's not the same thing. It's not. It's not by any stretch. I really, uh, I think where I'm comforted in is the fact that we've had all these big drawdowns already that are in line with, with past drawdowns. That gives me comfort to be able to say now's the time to start bottom fishing. Where I could be wrong, let me give you my bear case. I'm not going to put a high probability on it, but there is a bear case out there to be made that should we go into a harder recession than we expect, it draws earnings down in 23 to 200 bucks a share on the S&P 500, and I were to put a bear market PE multiple of 14 times on that 200 bucks, it takes the S&P down about 31.50. So we're not out of the woods. There is that potential, but I put that probability lower than than the base case, which is that inflation will come under control. It's going to allow the Fed at some point to take an exit, and you can't see this market trend higher towards that 4,600 type target for this year. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe not an absolute positive return for the year, but you've got 10 plus percent upside between now and year end. Right. So I lean more, that's my base case, but I'm cognizant that should pressures develop and things get worse, that you could sh shave those earnings off and that right. could throw us into an earnings recession. Right. Low probability, I think, at this point, but something certainly that we're aware of sure. and we're watching very close. Sure. Earnings season's out right now. We just started to, uh, today, banks out. You hear some of the top line stuff and it looks pretty nasty and you think, oh, you know, immediate reaction is to sell a bank. But if you get into listening to what the CEOs are saying or reading about the banks and businesses, it's not bad. You know, mm -hmm. They're kicking up loan loss reserves a bit, but mm -hmm. you're not seeing a bunch of delinquencies or things of the consumers in good shape. Yeah. Our point is, is the base economy is in pretty decent shape, and the bank mm -hmm. folks are talking to you mm -hmm. today about it. We still got a couple more weeks of earnings, and mm -hmm. it's it's always a fun and interesting time around here. You know, earnings are, are what they are. That's when you hear us either shouting for joy or screaming for pain <laughs> at all based on when earnings come out in the morning. But Pretty much. Yeah. Well, um, and I, just a reminder, too, when we're talking about markets, right, and we talk about we have references to the S&P, and this is something else that I, I remind clients of often, is that what you hear in the media, markets. You know, markets can mean a lot of different things. Around here, when we throw out markets, we'll refer to the S&P 500, which we have components of that in our portfolios, but that's not 
what most of our clients own. That's We are active managers, so we take a, a very different approach to that, and we are able to take advantage of the pockets of the market here and there. So when you're thinking about what you're hearing in the media, don't get too caught up in just the news or just the media because it might not always correlate with what's actually going on either in your own portfolio or right. in the world for that matter. We may um, have already acted on it. We may have already acted on it by the time you're hearing it or thinking news. about it, right? And so just be very cognizant of what you're taking in in terms of information and where it's coming from. And well, reach out sure to us. Real. I would encourage you. I know they reach out to you. Jason and I are here as well. We answer emails and phone calls, but you know, if the clients have questions and we don't dazzle with brilliance, we'll baffle them with bull, but we'll get them through the, we'll give an answer. <laughs> Well, let's hope you do more than give them some bowl. Pretty good at it. I was an elected official. <laughs> well, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to RHP Market Talk. If you have questions or would like to discuss today's topics, please feel free to contact us through our website at royalharborpartners.com. At RHP, we're passionate about planning for your financial future. We're devoted to our relationships with multi-generational families for the creation of successful legacies through our one-on-one conversations. We can help you navigate your personal wealth management investment journey. How different will your life look with the right advice? Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks. Thanks. Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor, and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply a certain level of skill or training. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.